0: Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We are less than 10 weeks away from the start of college football season now as summer continues to move on by. But it is the final week of June here as I record this on Sunday, June 25th. And that means it's the end of an academic year and the beginning of another. And really when, to a certain degree, the year resets for college sports as one year comes to an end and the new one begins. So I wanted to look back here today at the 2022-23 year and how it will be remembered, mostly from a football and men's basketball perspective, because both are rather complex uh, when it comes to what Purdue did over the past year. But first, uh, we're going to get through some recruiting talk here because the month of June now is the biggest one on the recruiting calendar in college football. For so long it was, you know, December and January, but now with the early signing period, you get a lot of recruitments wrapped up before senior seasons start, so June and July are as big as they come in college football recruiting now, and there's been plenty of action on the recruiting trail for Purdue. So, we're going to get into that first before we look back at the year that was. You know, by all accounts, Ryan Walters is off to a really strong start on the recruiting trail. And I think that is reflected in both what he's brought in to this point, you know, what Purdue has received in terms of commitments, but also just in terms of the vibe you hear around Purdue, what people are saying about Purdue, um, about the coaching staff, you hear a lot of positives uh, on the recruiting trail about Purdue right now. You know, it's way too early, in my opinion, to get very into the recruiting rankings because these we're dealing with such incomplete data at this point. You know, right now, if you are Working with a larger class than others, you know, that's going to conflate the data so much Minnesota has a great class right now because they have over 20 commits the average player rating isn't all that different from You know, purdue and schools like it, but minnesota's class is rated so high because of the number of commits. So You know, right now, Purdue's class, as I sit here at this moment on on three, is sitting at 40th overall nationally. You know, that very well could change. There are some high-profile players who are set to announce this week. Purdue's in the mix. You know, if it lands one or two of those, that could change drastically in a matter of, you know, it could look much different by the time you're listening to this episode. So I don't want to get too into the exact ranking right now, but you know I think a couple of commits really stand out. You look back at Marcos Davila, who was one of the first guys that this staff got committed, uh, that they got on board, four-star quarterback out of Texas. He really seems to be embracing the role as the leader of the recruiting class, and you like to see quarterbacks take on that role. You know, of course, it has to do a lot with the position that they play, but I think it also has a lot to do with stability. Uh, You know, you look at classes where quarterbacks have decommitted. You know, you don't see quarterbacks who are super engaged decommit often. Um, It's not something you saw, like from Ricky Collins in last year's class, uh, just for an example there. I think that's a really good sign. Very active on social media. You know, He's gotten up to West Lafayette a couple times. That's always really good to see from a committed guy. Uh, Some real engagement there. Uh, I think that's a great sign from him. You saw Purdue get a really nice recruiting win a couple weeks ago when they picked up Luke Williams, four-star safety out of Naperville up in Chicagoland there, and it was a head-to-head deal. Purdue versus Illinois. He chose the Boilermakers. I think that's a really good sign, too. Of course, it makes sense. You know, Purdue is really targeting defensive back heavily in this class to this point. Um, you know, I think they've got three or four defensive backs already committed, uh, depending on where some of these athletes play. But, you know, it's it's a good sign that Purdue's winning battles you know especially a kid who's from illinois going in and beating illinois that's going to be something you see a lot of on the recruiting trail i think is those those two schools going at it they're going to play very similar styles of defensive football Uh, defensive back is very important there that's a really good get for purdue to get to where you need to be uh you have to win those recruiting battles against the Illinois, against the Indianas, against the Iowas, Nebraska's, Michigan State's. You know, the schools that are like you in that second to third tier of the Big Ten, That's those are the battles you've got to win. Um, so I think Purdue's off to a good start there. And, of course, as I said, you know, it's it's so early here that it's very likely that this class looks a lot different, even by the time you're listening to this episode. But a couple of really key guys to start with, and if you're Purdue, you just need to keep keep stacking some of that blue chip talent. Um, you know, I think some guys. They got a couple out of Tennessee, Jaheim Merriweather and Demond Marable, who I think are really exciting. Kid out of Napanee. Don't say that often for. My fellow 574 folks, but a kid out of Napanee who's a good commit. You know, you've got a good base here, but if you can keep adding some blue chippers, pick up a couple more four star commits, uh, that'll really be a positive for Ryan Walters' first recruiting class. And I just think the buzz that you get around the staff, the recruiting looks night and day different from really what you've ever seen at Purdue. Um, You know, recruiting looks a lot different than it did when Purdue had things going, you know, under Joe Tiller. And Jeff Brown put together some good classes early on in his tenure. But this staff seems to have a passion for recruiting that Purdue has never had from a coaching staff before. You know, you certainly didn't see that from Daryl Hazel. Uh, the results certainly indicated it and just the vibe was that they weren't a staff that loved to recruit danny Hope's staff Mm -hmm. never had this passion for recruiting um it's very evident you know you look at the stuff that's out on social media how active the coaches are there how active they are promoting what they're doing on official visits uh, you know, the nighttime photo shoot at ross aid they had with an Indy car in the concourse, and the uh, official visit event they had at the airport with airplanes and, you know, the air raid and airstrike promotions. The staff really likes recruiting. And again, to get to where you want to get to, to continue to elevate as this program moves into a 16-team Big Ten where it doesn't necessarily have that cushion of the Big Ten West anymore, it's going to get more and more important. Um, I think one of the things you hear a lot of is that this staff is very engaged, too, that when players come and visit, you know, the entire staff is there to greet them and to show them around and you know, to talk to them. Uh, everything you hear about this staff is really positive. They understand the importance of recruiting and elevating that level of talent that's on the roster. That's a must. It doesn't guarantee you anything. You know, you can look at rosters that have been loaded with talent and underachieved. That's always entirely possible. But what it does give you is a chance. Uh, it's very hard to overachieve without that level of talent on the roster and Purdue's getting there. Um, It's not going to be the easiest thing to do to elevate and be a top half team in the new big 10, but you know, building a strong foundation out of the high school ranks is how you do it. There's a lot of talk right now about, well, how important is high school recruiting with the transfer portal? And I think it's still very important you don't know what's going to be in the transfer portal until late November. You know, you may know of a guy or two who's gonna hop in the portal and that, you know, say what you want about tampering, but these staffs know. They know what's going on. They hear from the players as much as they're reaching out to the players. So, you know what's going on, but you don't know the overall quality of a portal class. And for those top top dogs in the transfer portal, You know, it's an NIL bidding war. You want to go get a star left tackle out of the transfer portal? Good luck. You want to go get a guy who's, you know, a high-end quarterback or a high-end wide receiver, pass rusher? Good luck. Uh, Those are the hard ones to get. But if you can build that foundation out of high school and build a good base of continuity, then you can pick and choose out of the portal. You know, Purdue's taken pushing 20 transfers this year I don't think that's the way that you want it to be every year now you've seen some schools who are trying to do that you look at Ole Miss is certainly trying to do that um it's okay you know every every staff is entitled to their own way of doing things but I I think building through the high school ranks is still the best way to build a roster in modern college football, and Purdue's off to a really good start doing it. It's going to be interesting as we progress here over the next month or so, because by the end of July, you know, this class is going to be mostly done. There will still be a few lingering guys out there, but, you know, right now, Purdue's at 12 commitments, I believe. Uh, my guess is by the time we get to this time in July, July 25th, That's up over 20, maybe pushing 25. It's going to be really interesting to see where they sit there in terms of a rankings perspective as we have a much better idea. Moving on, though, to the year in review. I like doing this because I'm a complete sports history nerd. It's something I enjoy just looking back on it. And I always like doing this because I remember during During the COVID time, Golden Black did like a look back at their 30 years of publishing. And it's fun to look back at years because you different things stick out. And for this year specifically, the 2022-2023 school year, football and men's basketball are some really interesting case studies. To start with football, it was odd because... I think within Purdue's fan base, expectations were fairly high. Purdue was coming off a nine and four season. They won the Music City Bowl. Purdue brought back its quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. It brought back a good amount on defense. You know, it lost George Karloftis. Uh, it lost Jalen Alexander and Marvin Grant, but it got back a good bulk of the defense. The win total was sitting at seven and a half. I could not tell you Uh, the last time Purdue's win total was sitting at seven and a half going into a season. Very workable schedule. You know, with O'Connell in the defense, I think Purdue fans felt pretty good about it. But I don't think the national media necessarily caught on the same. Uh, There weren't many picks for Purdue to win the West. And there were some picks for Purdue to finish down towards fifth in the West. I remember tweeting out for predictions, though, before the season. Did a poll on Twitter. And the plurality of fans shows that Purdue was going to win nine or more games. It may have even been a majority. I can't quite remember. But people in the responses were saying, you know, 9, 10. I had one response I'll never forget. that said 12-0 and was on the table and 11-1 and was very realistic. I don't know that it was, I don't know that that was ever on the table or realistic, but, you know, expectations were really high. And the year was such a mixed bag that I still, to this day, they played 14 games and I have no idea how good last year's Purdue team actually was. There were times where they looked really good and there were times where they did not look good at all. I think back to, You know, the month of September, when I sat here recording a podcast after Purdue beat Florida Atlantic by two, so Purdue finished its first month with two crushing losses, really, to a Penn State team that turned out to be very good, that won 11 games and won the Rose Bowl, and a Syracuse team that, you know, quite frankly, wasn't all that good. They won seven games, won a bowl game, but... Maybe they didn't win a bowl. I can't remember, but nonetheless, um, you know they lost those two games. Barely beat Florida Atlantic. He had no idea what Aiden O'Connell's health was. Vibes weren't high. Purdue pulls off these road wins, though. You know they win at Minnesota. They win at Maryland. They hang on against Nebraska in a game that probably should have sent off some red flags, but maybe didn't you're feeling good about it. You know, Purdue's really in the driver's seat of the West before the Boilers go get bombed by Wisconsin and by Iowa. Go off, pull off another road win at Illinois. They back their way into the Big Ten championship game. It was such a strange year. Uh, the ups and downs were, were really notable. Um, but I think the legacy of the season has to be That Purdue got to the Big Ten championship game for the first time ever. Uh, I think that's what it has to be because, you know, they hadn't done it yet. They were running out of time. We all knew that Purdue was kind of operating on who knows how much time uh, with the division. So as I sit here right now, uh, Purdue just got a commitment from a four-star corner, Earl Culp. Uh, that's a big one. That's an IMG kid. That is uh, or no, St. Thomas Aquinas kid. Nonetheless, an excellent one. Um, yeah, that'll absolutely help their recruiting rankings. My apologies for the randomness of that, but that's a big-time commit for Purdue. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll be better than 40th by the time you listen to this podcast. But... Back to the actual thing that I got on Twitter to check was a Twitter poll I ran earlier today asking about what you thought the legacy of this past season was. And 100 votes are in, 66 of them wore the Big Ten West title. I think that's right. I think that's the way it should be. You know, right next to that is going to be Jeff Brom leaving, and that had 20% of the votes. The other ones, the ups and downs of the season, and the Citrus Bowl disaster got a little bit... You know, Jeff Brom leaving was something that... It it was almost a backdrop to the season for folks who kind of knew what was going on there, that if Louisville was open, it was a, a done deal. It just depended if Louisville came open or not. It was such an interesting deal because... You know, Purdue had gotten through the season without it becoming too much of a distraction. And I think if you're Purdue, it worked out as well as it could have. It didn't happen right before the Big Ten Championship. It happened after. All that really got made awkward was that Citrus Bowl press conference with Jeff Brum and Mike Babinski sitting there like two hours after the Louisville job opened and Mike Babinski brought up like right away. I went back and rewatched it the other day to make sure I had this right. Before even a question was asked, Mike Babinski brought up that without referencing it directly, he brought up that, uh, the loop, you know, he wasn't going to talk about what was going on elsewhere. And you knew at that point, you absolutely knew that something was going on. Um, You know, I think the Citrus Bowl thing, if that's what you remember, I think we just have different outlooks on the sport, and that's okay. I don't love that bowl games have lost a lot of their meaning in the modern era, but it's hard for me to look back at a game where Purdue didn't have its five best players on the field and feel like that is what I remember. And those guys weren't going to play whether Jeff Brom was the coach or not. So I don't really think there's much of a connection there. I think at the end of the day, that's just kind of a reflection of bowl games now. I think if you look back at last season, it's got to be the big 10 West championship. And it's got to be the fact that Purdue got to that stage and competed pretty well. It lost fairly definitively settled for a bunch of field goals, but I think that's how you have to remember it. The basketball front is a little bit more, in some ways, it's more difficult, and in some ways, it's more, you know, plain and shut. The season's going to be remembered for what happened in the first round of the NCAA tournament on a Friday night in Columbus, Ohio, against a little school from somewhere in the Northeast. I could not, I can't remember where Fairleigh Dickinson even is. Um, I've been on this podcast plenty of times saying that I don't exactly like the fact that a singular focused, what happens in the NCAA tournament is how the season is, how you judge a season. I don't like that approach. I don't think it's very healthy for the sport of college basketball. I think that's a major contributor to why the sport is not as popular In terms of a regular season product as it once was, but so be it. I think what's gonna be interesting is that the legacy of this past season can change. If Purdue can really, you know, if Purdue can get the monkey off its back and go to a Final Four this upcoming season, I think a lot of the a lot of the vitriol towards last season changes. A lot of the feeling about it changes. I hate the comparison. Of 2018 2019 Virginia I, I just think it's almost unfair to put that burden on this upcoming Purdue team but let's face it the UMBC loss looks a hell of a lot different now than it did before you uh, before UVA went and won the national title the next year I think if Purdue can do something like that you know this all looks different. Context is always important. You know, this past year wasn't supposed to be what it turned into. Purdue wasn't supposed to run away with the Big Ten race. Purdue wasn't supposed to spend all season inside the top five. Purdue wasn't supposed to become a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Those things just really weren't supposed to happen to Purdue. They did, and... changed things dramatically going in you know really as soon as we were going into the month of December after Purdue did what it did out in Portland I think it makes it a complex season to remember because Big Ten championships are something to celebrate they are Um, what Purdue did out in Portland is worth celebrating if you ask me I know you know On the surface, it doesn't exactly mean a ton, but I think that's worth at least acknowledging that it was really fun. That was a fun weekend for Purdue fans. Um, There were a lot of fun moments in last year's season. I I think viewing it through one lens is really difficult, but I know that's how it's going to be viewed. Zach Eadie's utter dominance provides another key piece, you know, I said it at the time. Don't take what Zach Eadie did for granted. Um, it's not every day that you have a National Player of the Year walk through your doors. It, it had been since 1994. Lord knows how long it'll be till Purdue has another one. Whether Zach Eadie does it again this year or not, you know who knows. But it's it's not an everyday thing. That's something that should be remembered fondly. But how last season is ultimately remembered you know when we're sitting with our grandkids someday talking about purdue sports history how we talk about this past season won't be solidified until we know what happens this year you know overall for purdue uh, i don't talk about other purdue sports much on this podcast mostly for two reasons one you know, I don't feel like I pay enough close attention to really be justified in having strong opinions or having any credibility to my thoughts. Um, I just don't. I keep up with it. I keep up with what other sports are doing. But it's not like I, I watch every game and have a great, great feel for things. I don't think this was exactly a banner year for the athletic department, though. Um, You know, for example, volleyball is a sport that Purdue takes pretty seriously. Uh, It's probably, in terms of just interest overall, um, it's up there. Purdue took a step back, as was expected. They lost a ton from back-to-back Elite Eight teams. So be it uh women's basketball took a step forward uh, it absolutely did it got back to the NCA tournament for the first time under Katie Gerald's that was really good. A way to measure this is the Governor's Cup you know the Purdue versus Indiana head-to-head competition uh, Purdue got smoked 15 and a half points to four and a half points and as I scroll through the website, uh, that lists all the past results here that is the most dramatic outcome that has ever happened in the little head-to-head battle all sports between purdue and indiana um so that's not great that's not great at all uh purdue baseball kind of had a late season collapse and missed the big 10 tournament softball was really really poor this year and uh fired their coach because of it. Um, I know Purdue tennis or one of Purdue's tennis teams is really bad. Um, I think it's men's tennis is just abysmal. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best year for Purdue. I don't, again, you you trade everything else for what happens in men's basketball and football. Those are what pays the bills. Those are what gets people fired up. Um, And it was a good year for those two sports so overall it was a win but for the athletic department as a whole probably a little bit more complex than that Um, we are as I said it's the end of June here so we are really coming up on another year I know I'm looking forward to it Um, it is going to be a lot of fun to see what Purdue can do in a brand new era for football and a super high pressure year for basketball. Um, but until then, you know, we still have a lot of stuff to talk about. We're about a month away from really getting into the football preview, the countdown to kickoff. And we are going to have plenty of recruiting stuff to talk about until then. I have a couple of episodes in mind. But if there's anything you want me to talk about, especially over the next month, please tweet it to me. Or send me a DM over on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. You can email the show Boilers and Beyond Pod at gmail.com. Send anything over there too. I am happy to to look at that. And if you have any just questions in general, you know we always welcome mailbag stuff. So do that as well. But that's all I've got for today. Follow me on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss anything. And I will be back next week with some more news and notes from the world of Purdue athletics. Until then, y'all take care.